The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us we would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Melanie. All right. Well, uh, before I get into this, I want to remind you about the congregational meeting that's happening. Um, One of the the things, uh, so you can attend this congregational meeting at the Old Hickory location at 4 p.m., um, and, or you can tune in online for this as well, but we're asking if you're a member of Christ Prez and you're not going to be there in person to please tune in because we're using uh, people who are watching as a way of determining whether or not we have a quorum, and we need a quorum uh, for this meeting, and so it's an unusual time we're in, but if you wouldn't mind doing that, uh, and if you are... If there are more than one member in your household, uh, tune in on as many devices as there are people, and that will help us get a more uh, accurate picture of that. I know it sounds weird, um, but it is what we got. So, all right. Psalm 124. I like, one of the things I love about this psalm is to my eye, and I'm not alone in this, but to my eye... This psalm contains a reference to a dragon. And dragons are awesome. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. You may say, that's not a dragon. And my counter question will be, then tell me what it is. It's a dragon. This psalm is about God's rescuing power. It's about God rescuing us in those times when calamity comes upon us suddenly, right? And it's strange here to be at the end of June and to think back to early March when that's exactly what happened. Calamity came upon us suddenly in the form of a pandemic. Everything was humming along and then it just all shut down. And we've been through a lot. I think about this a lot when when I'm praying for our congregation and I'm thinking about the church and I'm just thinking about our city in our country that we've been through a lot, we're tired. It's, it's a hard thing to walk through right now. And for some of us, we're tired and we're just over it. You know, we're just over everything related to COVID-19 to the point that you don't want to and are committed to really just not giving this any more of your bandwidth at all. And then on the other side of that, you have people where it's all you can think about. It's just consuming and it's wearing you down, and you, you just don't know how much more you can take, but you also don't know how to not think about it. This is a great psalm for us in this time, when we're people who are bearing up under the weight of a sudden calamity, sudden danger, 
a story. When I was in college, this was during a, uh, probably during a spring break or the early part of summer, I was home from college and my mom was planting uh, flowers in a flower bed. So I lived in the country uh, in Indiana on, on this little plot of land and our nearest neighbor was about 100 yards or so away from us and between us there was a creek. Uh, and the road, and so they lived on the other side of the road, and there was a bridge that went over the creek, and then their house over there, and they had turkeys. And while my mom was planting flowers, I was just standing out in the yard talking to her, and I was holding a rake that she had been using. And I glanced over at our neighbor's property. I should preface this story by saying, some of you will not believe this is a true story. I could not make up what I'm about to tell you. I was looking over, I just glanced over at the neighbor's property and I saw the turkeys in the yard and I swear it looked like one of those Tom turkeys made eye contact with me. And so I just kind of was watching it and talking to my mom, looking at her, looking over there, looking over there, and this turkey started walking toward me. It was 100 yards away with a street and a bridge. And this turkey just kept walking toward me. Leaves the yard, it's on the road, it's crossing the bridge, it's making eye contact with me. (laughs) To the point where I tell my mom, I think that turkey is coming over here. And so now she's looking at it too. And this turkey comes into my yard, it's still looking right at me, And it gets about 30 feet away from me, and it puffs out its feathers and kind of does this like, you want to go? We can go. We're going to go right now. And it starts to charge me. And I'm holding this rake handle, and so with the kind of the butt of the handle, I kind of give it a little poke in the chest, and it backs up, and it does it again three times. Three times this turkey charges me. And then... It turns around and walks back home. I'm not making that up. That happened. When you meet my mother, if you haven't already, you can ask her. But what I remember feeling in that moment was a sense of sudden dread. Because if this turkey was upset enough with me, we'd never met. If it was that angry with me, that it was going to make what to, to it was probably a half a mile walk, right, because of its little legs, to fight me? Uh, who knows what it was going to do? I sense, I told Bruce the story this morning, and he said, you know, they have, uh, they have talons on the back that could actually slice you up pretty good. I didn't know that. Now I do. But I, was surpri- I remember just being surprised by the unpredictability of the sudden danger that I was in and not knowing what's going to happen. And so I ask you the question, have you, can you think of a time in your life where things were fine and then they weren't? And there was a sudden danger that happened and there was, there's everything that goes with it. There's the unpredictability of the outcome and, and the wonder of, of am I going to be okay? Is, is, how is this going to go? Have you ever been in that situation? What's it been like for you where you've been snuck up on, where you've been surprised Because the truth is, we live in a really dangerous world. There are a lot of dangers out there. There are dangers all around. And today's psalm is talking about them. 
and it's helping us learn how do we, how do we think when sudden calamity befalls us. Now, what kind of dangers are we talking about here? We talking about things like the danger of being a Christian in the world where you could face persecution, people can go to jail. Yeah, that's some of it, but dangers take a lot of forms, right? You have internal dangers, you have external dangers. Internal dangers are just the dangers from my own sin nature, my own fallen nature, my own inability to navigate the world well, right? It's the, it's the falling into a pit of my own making, addiction, destructive behavior, sabotaging relationships, and then there's the outside, the external dangers, things like sickness that comes upon you or, or, or a business that fails or job dissatisfaction or loss or people gossiping about you that you can't really control. Satan is just knocking on your front door from the outside and you don't know what's going to happen. These dangers come. What part of our story then are these dangers? How do we see them? Because you know there are people, you may be one of them where the dangers and all of the things that could go wrong are the consuming thing in your mind, that this is what you live with every day. What part of our story should these dangers occupy? Are they the main point of our lives, that all we're really trying to do here is survive? Or should we say, actually, we should be of a higher, more enlightened mind where we don't even really think about them at all. They're just these avoidable blips. And really what you should do is you should live your life in such a way that you never risk. And that you never come into contact with any kind of danger at all. It can't be that. Because Peter, when he's writing to the early church in 1 Peter 4.12, he tells Christians you shouldn't be surprised when trials come. He says it th this way. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though, and here's the line, as though something strange were happening to you. You, sh you shouldn't think of sudden calamity coming upon you as something that's strange. Why? Because Jesus said it this way. He said, In this world, you will have trouble. You will. So how should we respond in times of trouble, in times of trial? And that's what I want to unpack. From their earliest days, Israel, the nation of Israel, they had to fight to survive. In those days, neighboring nations were often enemies, if not, the peace between nations was fragile and could be lost in a moment. And so Israel had these external dangers, right? This psalm mentions enemies who rose up against them, warring neighbors. And these warring neighbors just didn't want them hurt. They wanted them gone. They wanted them destroyed. They wanted to take their stuff. And so they faced these countless external attacks, but then they also had the internal stuff that was going on, that they, like the church today, were vulnerable to demise from within through things like lust and jealousy, contempt for one another, anger, spiritual apathy, pride. 
And in verses three and five, the psalmist uses language that's kind of metaphorical to describe what that danger has been like. And this is where he's using a metaphor of a dragon and a flood. The psalmist likens these dangers to a creature large enough to swoop in and swallow you whole. If it's not a dragon, what is it? It's a dragon. It's a dragon. The dragon can swoop in, swallow them whole. Or then there's the flood that's so swift that it just comes and it destroys and knocks out everything in its path. This, this creature that can swoop in and swallow them whole, the dragon, is immense. It's strong. It's on the attack. It means to do you damage. And a sane person is a person who will say, I want no part of that. Right? I don't want any part of that. There is no, I'm no match for it. The only rational course is to never tangle with that beast. And so you, you go on the defensive and you protect. And then there's the flood. And the flood is perhaps worse than the dragon because the dragon is intending harm. The flood doesn't think about you at all. The flood is unaware of your existence. It brings this sudden, unannounced catastrophe, this impersonal, destructive force that is not only unaware, but it's just unmoved by our presence in the world. Like a pandemic, right? We're not on its mind. And we can't really plan for these things. We never plan for a car accident. We don't plan on getting betrayed, we don't plan on being furloughed, we don't plan on losing a job, we don't plan on the stresses that keep us up at night. But they happen. What do yours look like? What are the dragons and floods that you say, man, this thing, it could swoop in and just devour me? Or it could come and just sweep away everything I've tried to build? What, is it, what does it look like for you? The things that you need rescue from the things you need help, you need to be delivered from. What is yours right now? How are you dealing with it? Because here's the question this psalm raises, and I think it's one that's good for us to think about. And it's this. How does receiving God's help actually work? If God says, I'm a God who helps, what does receiving help from him look like? How does that work? Is it this scenario where most of the time we're going through life on our own, we're fine, we got this, we're covered, and there are times when it gets to be too much, and in those times we say to God, okay, could you tap in? <laughs> could you tap in and help me right now? Because I need you, I just need you for a minute, and it's really focused, I just need you for this particular thing, but could you, could you please uh, just, just come over here for, for a couple of seconds? If that's the way you think about God, and I'll bet it is for most of us something at least that's, that's crossed our minds, ways that we've lived. There, it's a profoundly theological position to take about God, to think that way, to think that God exists to leave me alone for the most part and then step in on occasion when I need help. What the psalmist is saying is he's saying, you know what the truth is? The truth is you always need help. You've always needed help. You've never not been in danger. There's always been things that can come along and just wipe you out. 
And what the psalm is declaring is you've always needed help, and God alone is that help. And you've always had his help. Eugene Peterson puts it, puts it this way. He, he, he says, these, these dragons in the flood, they're not the subject of this psalm. This psalm is not focused on the danger. What this psalm is focused on, those dangers are merely the setting for the discussion. The psalm is focused on the God who rescues the one who needs help. That's the fundamental point of this psalm, is that come what may, come what may, you have a God who rescues. No matter what's going on, you have a God who rescues us. It's what he does. This is not a God who becomes a rescuer when there's need for it. He is our rescuer. He's our rescuer before and during and after whatever may befall. He's with us and he's present in that way. The hazards then become the scenarios in our life that give us the opportunity to witness his rescue, to witness the way he works in these things. They become part of the witness to the God who rescues, part of our witness to the watching world. As we know, there are no witnesses like those who have stood at the very edge of something and lived to tell about it, right? It's kind of the idea of a witness. When we talk about witnessing for Christ, a lot of times we can think that what that is is it's just a transaction where I give you content about the gospel and then ask you to believe it. But really what that word means to be a witness to something is very much like in a courtroom where you would take the stand because you have firsthand information about something that others need to hear. And so when we're a witness for Christ, it's because presumably we're people who have said, I've experienced this. I'm gonna talk about something that I know firsthand. Seven years ago, right around this time of year actually, seven years ago, I developed a very serious bacterial infection in my heart. Came out of nowhere. And it put me in the hospital, and it required open-heart surgery to correct uh, what was wrong. And it was the kind of uh, situation where I had to go through the process of putting my house in order. And I remember during that time wondering, what is going to come of my faith in this? Because I'd never really been face-to-face with my mortality before, not like this. And I didn't know. I just didn't, I didn't know. And, and there was a part of me, part of the way I'm wired, is there was this curiosity to see, will, will my faith buckle under the weight of this, or, or will, what'll happen? And I remember during that time, I had a friend named Barbara who was uh, battling cancer, and she had gone through cancer uh, and gone into remission and had suffered much and the cancer had come back and when I was going through cardiac rehab, she was going through chemotherapy and we would meet together for coffee at a coffee shop. Remember those? We would meet for coffee and we would talk about the Lord. And we would talk specifically about the presence of the Lord in the midst of suffering. 
And I remember benefiting so much from Barbara's words to me because they were so real and they were so honest and they were so raw. And they were words that helped me in ways that others who had not been through something quite like this just couldn't tap into. And for the believer, for the Christian, when calamity befalls us, when difficult times come upon us, when the dragons swoop in, the floodwaters rush, unstoppable toward us, and we're chained in our cages and we survive, we become people who are witnesses to the rescue and the deliverance of God, where we can say at the same time in the same breath, this was awful and God was good. This was awful and God was good. This psalm is telling us when those things come, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. What do we do when the psalm or when the, when the flood and the dragon? We cry out to the Lord. Why? Because the last verse tells us because our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I love that little add-on at the end, which we could read as just Bible speak for a general description of God, but he's saying your help is in the name of the Lord who, by the way, created heaven and earth. And so if there is anything of this earth, anything on this earth that you fear, cry out to the one who created the whole thing because he has more power and he is with us and he hears us. In fact, for the believer to not cry out to the Lord in times of, of danger, in times of distress, is to go against our nature because we are people who believe foundationally that God is with us, that his spirit dwells inside of us, that he hears us, that he's not sleeping. And by the way, what else can we do in those times? We can cry out to ourselves but that's generally going to look like one of two things. It's going to look like shame or it's going to look like pride, right? We're going to cry out to ourselves and say, dig deep and fix this. That's the pride voice, right? Or we cry out to ourselves in the shame voice that just says, well, you deserve this. You had this coming. They're so tied together, right? Pride is shame's cloak, and both pride and both shame start and end with me. So crying out to ourselves does no good. Crying out to others can be helpful if those others are saying, yes, I will go with you to the Lord who made heaven and earth. But sometimes crying out to others is just a way to soothe ourselves in the moment. But really what it is is just complaining, right? It's a common way to cry out to others is to complain or we cry out to others by way of just finding somebody to blame. We cry out to them to say, you did this. You're responsible for this. If you hadn't done so-and-so, then I wouldn't be in this position. We can turn to addiction to soothe. I don't want to cry at all anymore. And so I'm just going to shut down those parts of my heart that feel. We can despair. Everything's ruined. Let's just burn it all to the ground. These are things for those who have no God. But for those who do have a God, who is with us, 
who's not sleeping but is awake, who rescues, we have this kind of God. And this makes all the difference. We can cry out to God and we can deal honestly with our struggles. We can look at life's hazards and we can talk about them. We can talk about them because they are not the subject of our lives. They are only the setting, the subject of our lives is we have a God who rescues us. I love the way that it's written in verse two. If it had not been that the Lord was on our side, if it had not been this way, the positive of that is it has been this way. The Lord has been on our side. If it hadn't been, we'd have been ruined, right? What if God wasn't on our side? Well, what if he didn't redeem? What if he didn't send his son to die in our place? What if God saw our hearts of stone and said, there's nothing I can do with you, I'm just gonna leave you as you are? What if he kept his Holy Spirit from us? I know for me, I would be swallowed up. I'd be swallowed. You're looking at a guy who would be swallowed up by the desires of his own appetites. That's what would happen to me. I would seek emotional isolation. I would live in constant cynicism. I might even become the dragon, like Eustace in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you've read that part of the Chronicles of Narnia, this boy that's so consumed with himself and so contemptible toward everybody else that in the magical world of Narnia, he actually transforms into a dragon. I could see that happening to me. But that's not what's happened. God has not withheld his son. He has not withheld his grace. He has not withheld his spirit. Instead, he has given it. And so what this psalm is inviting Christians into is an argument from the greater to the lesser, right? This is a way of, of reasoning. It's similar to Romans 8.32 that says this. This is another argument from the greater to the lesser. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, that's the greater, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the lesser, right? If God has given his son the greater, why would he withhold anything less? God has already rescued us from the grip of death. He's already rescued us from eternal separation from him. Is it possible then for him to be anything other than our advocate in every other area of our lives. Does it make any sense that he wouldn't be your advocate in these other areas of life if he's already rescued you from the grip of death and given you his son? See, we live on this side of the cross where we have seen the Lord's ultimate rescue. We've seen it. We've seen it in the cross, in the empty tomb, the risen Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And what this does is this puts all of our struggles and dangers and potential pitfalls into perspective, which then frees us to speak into our own suffering and into our own despair, our own besetting sins, 
to our own failing to love well. We can speak into that. We don't need to leave those parts of our lives hidden in a cluttered closet in our heart. But instead, what we can acknowledge before the God who rescues us, these things are real. They're real and they're legitimate parts of our lives as they are for everyone. And pretending this world has no trouble is just a dishonest way to look at the world. In this world, you will have trouble. But Christ has overcome the world. And he has saved us in the process. And so the call for us that's modeled in this psalm is to deal. (laughs) It's to deal openly and honestly with our need for deliverance. To say of the dragons and the floods, man, if God wasn't our rescuer, just imagine what could happen. But he is our rescuer. And he hears us. We know, we deal honestly with our need for deliverance, that Christians of all people should be willing to talk about the things from which we desperately need rescue. This is really the ascent of worship, right? It's part of the ascent of worship. It's saying, I am confessing the things from which I need to be delivered. And so we can say, if, if it hadn't been for the Lord who was on our side, These things, these dragons and these floods would have swallowed us and swept us away. But as it is, he has already enacted his rescue plan. And because he has, I know I shall be rescued. He has already enacted his rescue plan and because he has, I know I shall be rescued. And that's the only suitable response. The only suitable response is to worship him for that. I close with these words from Eugene Peterson writing about this psalm. He says this, he says, we speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of this world, poking in its garbage cans for a bare existence. We are traveling in the light toward God who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shape our days. So whatever dragons you face right now, whatever floods are rushing in towards you, those are not your story. Your story is that in those things, you have a rescuer who saves you, and you always have. A rescuer who happens to be the maker of heaven and earth. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for psalms like this that bid us to acknowledge the reality of the struggles that we experience in this life, to not pretend that they're not happening, but to see them through the lens of the truth that we have a rescuer that in all those places where we need help, where we need deliverance, we have a helper and a deliverer. 
In all those places where we need redemption, we have a redeemer. In all those places where we need salvation, we have a savior. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to rest in that. Help us to live out of that. And help us to let our living out of that become an expression of our worship, of confessing your greatness and your power in everything that we need. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.